0: Open your Bibles, we are in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, some of you, by the way, have read ahead a little bit. And some of you are like, hmm, how is the pastor going to handle the gift of speaking in tongues in a non-Pentecostal church? So you're, you're all wondering that right now. Some of you are nervous, you're like, hmm, could we just skip this passage Because every time we start talking about this stuff, it feels a little bit spooky. Maybe it feels a little bit mysterious. And I hope that by the end of today, uh, we can make some sense of this, that it doesn't feel as odd as we talk about the use of spiritual gifts in the church. Before we read this passage, I want to remind you where we've been So two weeks ago, we started in the section of Paul's overall argument with 1 Corinthians or or the uh, Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. He says that spiritual gifts are meant to uh, be given as a gift to every member of the body. If you're in Christ, you've been given some spiritual gift that God wants you to use. It is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of others. So it's to build up the body of Christ And third, although we have many diverse gifts, we all have gifts that we exercise in different ways, we are unified around the person of Christ. We're all members of His body. So that was the baseline of where we were. Then we were also talking just last week. remember last week was the love week? And Paul says that we use spiritual gifts, but we better have love. Because if you don't have love and you use your spiritual gift, it just sounds like a clanging gong. You remember the nails on a chalkboard? That's what it's like that we had from last week. If you don't have love, you ain't got nothing. That's what Paul's argument was last week. And he says, love had better be the foundation of the use of all of the spiritual gifts in the church. Well, we're going to read the passage in just a moment, but I want to paint a little picture of what's happening in Corinth, because it's really important that you understand the context before we read this passage. What's going on in Corinth is, well, to put it in a a word, it's a mess. It's a mess because uh, everybody is, is using this gift of the speaking in tongues, and they're using it Uh, as one of the, the, the prominent ways that they want to demonstrate God's presence with them, but it's causing a lot of harm to the church. If you were to attend a church service in Corinth back in the day, in the first century, it probably would have been in a home. You would have heard a cacophony of voices because everybody was trying to speak in tongues at the same time, It was like you'd walk in and it would be like a wall of sound of just all people speaking in tongues. And furthermore, it was a problem because it was used as a sensational gift to say, look at me, look at me, look at what we can do. Look at how God has blessed us. And Paul says, you know, hey, this is a real problem. Paul is not trying to stop the use of the gift of tongues. So you need to get that right out of the chute. He's not trying to stop it. But he is trying to corral it. He's trying to put some boundaries around the gift of tongues. And he's trying to bring some clarity of what this is and how God uses it. And again, how it's exercised within the church body. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm picking up in verse 1. And this is what Paul teaches Corinth. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anybody know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how will anyone in the position of an outsider say amen so that you're thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. If the Lord, in the law, excuse me, it is written, by people of estranged tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to the people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, (laughs) will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul begins today by saying, all of us are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We are to long for those to be operational in the church. And boy, am I there as a pastor. I want spiritual gifts to be operational in the church well, because if I'm, I'm fearful. If they're not operational in the church and all we're bringing is the best that we have, all that we're bringing is our human effort, I'm fearful that we will be whitewashed tombs at that moment. We desperately need the Spirit to animate all that we do. And God has given the gifts to the church and He wishes for those to be operational. I want for this place to be a place not where we just, you know, come on Sunday and we sit, but we are also participating within the very life of the body. Sometimes through services that we have, sometimes through gatherings that we have, other times just involved in each other's lives. But we're using our spiritual gifts in order that we might bring glory to God. We're using whatever abilities we have. We're using whatever initiative and invitation we have. We're feeling a sense of freedom around the use of those spiritual gifts. We have a whole and operational church when that's happening. All right, let me just come out of the chute today and say I do not have the gift of tongues. I, I do not speak in tongues. I do have the gift of leadership. I have the gift of preaching. I know I have those gifts. Those have been confirmed from the Lord. But I don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. So this week, I've had to really rely upon, well, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 And I've also called and talked to a couple of friends who do have that gift just to help me understand a little bit of what that is like to operate within that gift. I also want to come right out this morning and say, I'm not a cessationist. And some of you, that's a new word. Let me define that for you. A cessationist would believe that there were certain uh, sign gifts especially, like speaking in tongues or maybe healing, that were operational in the early church but then they faded out. God used them instrumentally to establish the church, and then they faded in their use, and they're not used any longer. So if you're a cessationist, that's what you believe. A continuist is an individual that believes that those gifts continue. And so again, there's two basic camps of belief around the use of, the, of this gift and, and the signed gifts in general. And so if you are a continuist or you practice Continuism, then again, you believe that those gifts still continue today. I'm in the continuous camp, however, with some pretty tight boundaries, and I'll tell you about some of those boundaries today. Whether we like it or not, there are not many passages in the Bible about the use of speaking tongues. In fact, really, this is the one. And I would really long for God to have written a whole lot more for us. Paul to said, you know, hey, I want to tell you more about this. And I wish that were occurring in other parts of the scripture, but they aren't. And so this is the one passage we have that really deals with this. We do our best to understand that. And we believe that since that's what God has left for for us, that will, will be enough. In Corinth, they considered this gift of tongues as the varsity gift. And all the other gifts were like little JV gifts. Like, oh, you've got the gift of, you know, hospitality. Oh, how nice for you. I've got the gift of tongues. Let me show you. And so they considered it to be this varsity gift. Flatly, Paul says, you're wrong. I need to give you guidance. I need to give you correction because you're wrong about that. It's not a superior gift. It is a gift, but it's not a superior gift. And I need to offer some some boundaries or some correction around your use of that. So today we're going to discover Paul has three main sections of thought here in the book uh, in the chapter of uh, 14 and uh, there're going to be some boundaries that he's going to give around the use of this gift. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first thing that is starts off in uh, verse 1 is that uh, prophecy is superior to tongues and Paul says that uh, we are to seek prophecy especially Uh, I'm understanding, and boy, when I got into this passage this week, I understood right away that we needed definitions for both those terms. I did, so I was like, what what do you even mean, Paul, when you say speak in tongues? Or what do you even mean when you say prophesy? And so exactly what is those gifts and how do they operate? What is the gift of tongues? Well, let's go ahead and back up because we do understand that there was an exercise of tongues and it happened right when the church was formed all the way back to acts chapter 2 if you remember god sent to jesus sent the disciples to the upper room he said i'm departing you now i'm ascending to heaven but you go wait in the upper room they waited in the upper room they were praying together holy spirit fell upon them with what was called tongues of fire and they kind of go out into the city and into the city are all these individuals because it's passover from all these different countries And they wade out into the city and all of a sudden, just just on cue, boom, they start speaking languages they've never learned before. They start speaking to people in African languages. They start speaking to people in European languages and Roman languages, island languages, tribal languages. They're just coming out of them left and right. And the individuals are saying, I cannot believe this. But, you know, you're speaking my language perfectly. And they were spreading the gospel that way by these utterances you know Denise has a COVID project and her COVID project is that she's attempting to learn Spanish and it's mainly motivated by her desire to speak to our Cuban friends we're on WhatsApp all the time with them and of course we've been with Cuban friends in Cuba a couple of times and we just have some long-standing friends so she said I'm going to use my COVID project and I'm going to try to learn Spanish she uses an app called Duolingo and so it kind of, she works her way through that every day. And I think she's like on a, like a 450, day streak in Duolingo. I mean, so she's really committed to it. And, you know, I think about what would it be like for Denise to just automatically know Spanish? No study, no Duolingo, no practice. Just you know Spanish and you know it with a Cuban dialect perfectly. Denise would say, yes, please. You know, I mean, that would be awesome. And that's what, again, is happening in Pente- at Pentecost when all the disciples come out, wade into the city. And God does that because he's desiring to reach all the nations. And he wants the gospel of Jesus to be spread. Well, some believe that 1 Corinthians 14 is referring to a language. And so it's when you're speaking the gift of tongues, it's like you're speaking Mandarin or you're speaking Russian. But you've never learned that. And there are some that hold that belief. Now again, I do want to anchor and say, that's clearly what was going on in Acts chapter 2. But I don't think the context of chapter 14 supports that here. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about at all. I don't think he's talking about being able to speak a foreign language. He, he brings up the issue of a foreigner as an example. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about individuals who somehow have an utterance to God. They speak directly to God. And so if I'm going to bring a definition for the gift of speaking in tongues, it's going to come out of verse 2. And tongues is a spiritual utterance to God. That's what it is. It's a spiritual, you might say, language you're speaking to God that you've never learned or that you've never practiced, you've never rehearsed, but it's somehow speaking to God directly. And people who exercise the gift of tongues, again, speak directly as it were to God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so individuals who may speak in tongues may say, that's what it's like. There's groanings that are happening on the inside of me as I speak to God. I may not know quite what to pray, but somehow the Spirit is enabling me to speak to God with groanings that are actually too deep for words. As good as all that may be, we have to acknowledge that right out of the chute, Paul says prophecy is better. Prophecy is better than tongues. Why? Because tongues is communicating between the person and between God, but prophecy is for the building up of the entire church. In fact, look at the three things I'm in verse three that Paul says that prophecy excels at. Prophecy excels at upbuilding the church, at encouraging the church. And bringing consolation, or the NIV says comfort, to the church. And so prophecy's better because it's gonna edify everybody. Tongues, as the purpose maybe of edifying one person, you, the speaker, but it doesn't help everybody else like prophecy does. And so prophecy does things that speaking in tongues cannot do. And that's why Paul says seek those spiritual gifts, but especially seek prophecy. So we need to define what prophecy is in order to be able to march forward. We define speaking in tongues, an utterance to God, or a language to God. Now, what is prophecy? Anytime I say the word prophecy, I know what snaps in my mind. It probably does in yours, too. And it's like foretelling the future. So if I'm going to prophecy about something or prophesy about something, then I'm saying, this is what's going to happen a year from now, or this is happening 10 years from now, or this is happening 100 years from now. And there's that component of being able to tell what's going to happen in the future. That is part of the idea of prophecy in the Bible and in Paul's thought, I think, here. But more importantly, there is an issue of immediacy right now. So as much as there is foretelling, kind of the classical language on this says, there's also forthtelling. And when you forthtell something, you're just saying what is. You're not necessarily predicting something, but you're just saying this is what is. And so there's both sides of that, I think, that are oftentimes operating within prophecy. And in order for me to kind of give a definition of this, I am using one from the uh, very famous Anglican um, rector and uh, very well-known author. Uh, His name is Michael Green. And this is the way that he defines prophecy. He says, it's a word from the Lord through a member of the body, inspired by the Spirit, and given to build up the rest of the body. So it's a word that's given from God to an individual. It's in intelligible language that we all can understand. And that gift is given so that it builds up the rest of the body. Paul tells us seek prophecy over tongues because it has a broader audience. It benefits everybody. Tongues will build up a person, but prophecy will build up everybody, bringing comfort, encouragement, guidance. It'll bring a sense of wholeness to the body. So he says that is better. I know some of you speak in tongues in your private prayer life. According to this passage, there is a benefit to you. And there is a special connection that perhaps you have with God through that. And I do not wish to inhibit that just as Paul did not wish to inhibit that with the Corinthians. However, I would call there to be three fences that we should not go around or should not go over. Let me give you those fences if perhaps you have that gift. The first fence is not everybody has that gift. So we should not anticipate that everybody will be able to operate in that way. Like all spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit gives it to some but not to others, so we shouldn't expect that to be universal. Number two, it's not indicative of salvation. There are some that believe that you are speaking in tongues in order to demonstrate that you are saved. And I, in the strictest terms, cannot condemn that enough. Faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, following Jesus, that is what clearly indicates whether or not somebody knows God and is, is forgiven by God. The use of any spiritual gift is never the condition by which anybody is saved. And so again, churches that may teach that, boy, we would just, we would part company over that one, and we would say, no, that's not right, because it really impinges on the whole idea of what it means to be, be forgiven or be saved with God. Third, tongues don't need any help, and by that, I think that they don't need any coaching in order to help people speak in tongues. Let me give you an example on that. It's from Denise's uh, own experience. Denise, in her younger years, was a part of a church that was a Baptist church, and they obviously didn't have the practice of speaking in tongues together. However, she was involved with some individuals at, at a point in life in which they were Pentecostal, they were Charismatic, And they were encouraging her and trying to coach her on how to speak in tongues. They said, do you know any foreign languages? And she says, well, yeah, I do know a little bit of Japanese. And she said, well, they said, well, just, you know, start speaking in Japanese and see what happens. Well, Denise kind of started speaking the Japanese that she knew and kind of nothing happened. And it left her to feel, well, a sense of inadequacy at her young, tender age. And it left her to feel like, oh, wow, you know, uh, know, what's going on with me that these individuals think that I should be doing this and I can't. Like all spiritual gifts, they don't need our help. They don't need to prime the pump in any way. It's going to be evident who has that gift. It will be made plain by God. And so, again, I'm not sure that we have to work at that, but we just have to accept that there are individuals that will have that. Tongues has its place, Paul says, but seek prophecy over tongues because it has the betterment of encouraging and building up the entire church. All right. Let me give the second boundary. The second boundary is intelligibility is better. And this picks up in verse 6 where Paul begins to give an argument of why intelligibility is better and what intelligibility really looks like. He says, how will anybody know uh, that... How anybody know anything if I'm only speaking with God and they can't understand what I'm saying? You know, I'm the only speaker who would be able to understand that, and nobody else would. And he uses three examples to help us understand that. The first example is the flute. And he says, what would happen if a person played a flute, but they played no discernible notes? Now again, some of us have had that experience. I have. Because you remember your kids in grade school, and I can't remember about what grade it was, maybe second grade, third grade, and they got the recorder and they brought it home. Do you remember that? The recorder's a little flute-like device. And we went hours on end of hearing notes with no discernible tune. Hours on end. And maybe you've lived through that too. Maybe you've had the blessing of having some child that wants to learn percussion, and they brought drums home. And you heard hours of beating on the drums with no rhythm, with no beat, with no discernible anything other than just a cacophony of noise. And I kind of like the, the little monkey on the drums is like, ah, make it stop. Paul says, if you are playing a flute and it's got no discernible tune, who's going to understand that? And he's making that akin to, again, speaking in tongues. Nobody's going to understand that except for the person doing it. He says, consider the bugle. The bugle is meant to give instructions to soldiers, and he says, What would happen if that instruction didn't come? What would happen if they didn't play the right notes? You know, the most common uh, revel- a bugle song is revelry. <laughs> you know, and you hear that, and what it means is get up, let's get moving. They play that on, you know, anytime there's an army, in order to kind of get everybody up and get everybody moving along. And, you know, that's not the only command. There's bugles that are used in order to maybe make a charge or stand your ground. But the point is that a bugle can offer coordination for all the troops. When the bugle sounds, everybody knows what to do because they've been conditioned with that tune means this command. Well, imagine if the bugler just played a bunch of garbled notes. Everybody would freeze. like, we don't know what to do because there would not be any discernible command that was given from the bugle. And so again, he's saying that's what it's like to speak in tongues. He's saying the foreigner is another example, and by this he means one who speaks a foreign language that's not understood by everybody else. Let me give you an example of that. About 18 months, most children start to have enough language, but not quite enough to put everything into intelligible sentences. And so we call that period of time in a child's life speaking baby talk because they'll actually speak complete sentences that make sense to them, but even parents don't know what they're saying. And so it's just this kind of gibberish that comes out, and it's if they're speaking their own language, it's very clear, but nobody can quite understand what they're talking about. Well, that's the three examples that Paul gives of of what it's like to speak in tongues with there being no identity, really, of what is being said there. And he's saying, there's four gifts that are better. There's four gifts that are better in verse 6. Those gifts are revelation, knowledge, prophecy, and teaching. Prophecy I've already covered. Teaching and knowledge both really deal with discerning the scriptures and teaching the scriptures to the congregation. He puts that in the category of a very intelligible gift. He also uses the revelation. I think of revelation like the book of Revelation. In preparing the church, upgirding the, undergirding the church, uh, of, of pr- preparing the church for what is ahead. And he says those gifts are ones that communicate in very clear language that everybody can understand. That's why Paul again says in verse 8, and I think I have, excuse me, 18, I think I have that up here for us. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, I mean, I think that's a little bit of hyperbole, but he's saying, you know, I've got that gift. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he's saying this is the comparative value of having a gift in which everybody can understand. And it builds up the church properly. Once again, Paul's not trying to stop the gift of tongues. He just wants to offer balance so that it's the most helpful to the most people in the body of Christ. Well, there's one more boundary. The third boundary is unbelievers need clarity. And Paul says we've got to remember outsiders, and outsiders are people that, he says, don't really understand what we do when we come together to worship. They're new with us. This all looks like foreign. And if you know anybody who is not a follower of Jesus and they come to a church service, there's a level of nervousness. Because we're doing things that they don't normally do in common life. Let me give you a couple of examples. In today's day and age, it's very rare, actually, that we get together and sing in unison almost anywhere. Maybe at a concert, but most of the time, you're honestly listening there, too. So what we do here is very foreign to somebody stepping in. Think about communion. Think about baptism. Very, very foreign concepts. It looks weird to somebody that comes in because they don't understand what that ritual is all about. Maybe you think of even a, a corporate prayer. I mean, you don't want to, you, you want to ice somebody in a hurry that doesn't know God is to introduce them into a section uh, of a, a body of uh, believers who are expecting somehow some prayer and they, they don't know what that is. It seems very odd and it seems uh, concerning to them. And so there's parts of church life that are just foreign to people. And Paul says that that especially foreign one is this gift of speaking in tongues. I got a reminder this week about just how foreign church life is to most people that don't know Jesus. I am a part of a, kind of a pickleball association in the area. And this weekend there is a huge pickleball tournament that's happening right in Shoreline. And I got together with some people on Thursday night in order to be able to set up the courts and the nets and all the striping that was needed and the tents and everything else that is used for uh, this pickleball tournament. We got to the end of that time And the gal that was helping to organize all that said to me, she said, hey, Brian, there's uh, some adult beverages over there in that cooler. Help yourself. And I said, you know, I better not. I said, I'm headed to an elder meeting tonight, and I'm not sure that I should be doing that uh, tonight. And she said, they're elderly. They won't care. (laughs) For her, she had no clue that elders represent Leaders of the church. I mean, you know, that's a word that we use very frequently. But for her, it's like they're elderly. They'll be half asleep. They won't care. If you have a beer, come on. It is foreign. It's a foreign thing for individuals to step into the church. And Paul says this speaking in tongues is especially a foreign thing. And so he says, you know, just be on your guard against that. In verse 23, this is the way he says it. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you're out of your minds? And maybe some of you have actually had that experience. You've walked into some Pentecostal churches and maybe you've had that feeling. This just feels out of control. It feels chaotic. It, it, It feels like these people are kind of out of their minds. And Paul says, that's what you risk with outsiders. So outsiders, he says, need intelligibility. They need stuff they can understand. They need stuff that matters to them and that is cogent to them. And so he says, especially use prophecy and teaching. Those are easily understood in their own languages. And I've got the next verse here. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul says that when there's clear language, outsiders can become convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does his job of convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The secrets of his heart are are unfolded, and he just says, man, God is in this place. And I think we as followers of Jesus, most of us in this room today, have had that feeling of saying, man, it just feels like today God through the music or God through the sermon or God through the prayer is speaking right to me. There's something I must do. I must repent in some way or I must follow God in some way and we felt that sense and he says that's what you are moving for. That's what God is moving for when you come together in a service is for an unbeliever to come in and have that level of of calling to God, of conviction before God and he says whenever there's clarity then there is the opportunity for that to occur. All right, let's see if we can apply this to our lives today. First of all, I know that there are some of you today who would just as soon operate as cessationists, and you would say, you know, thank you for preaching that, Pastor Lib, but let's all move on. And, you know, you're just like, status quo, let's keep this where it is. Some of you are continuous. You believe that this gift is still operational. And you're still practicing that, maybe in your personal life. I think we're all trying to make sense out of 1 Corinthians 14. That's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to honor God with this. If there are those who speak in tongues, perhaps privately, I would hope that you'd have some guardrails on that. And those are some of what I spoke about earlier. This is something that we can all affirm, is that we want the gifts to be fully operational at the church. And Paul even says, "Earnestly uh, earnestly seek spiritual gifts. And let's hope that we're all doing that. We need your gift. We need your gift in full participation. bathed and undergirded with prayer, of course, but we need your gift operational at the church. Finally, God did not bring the gift of tongues to the church to bring division or to bring confusion. That's that's not why he gave the gift. He gave the gift in order that the body might be built up and that it might operate in unison. And so that's the way that we also should pursue and consider this gift. Spiritual gifts help the church. They build up the church, and they glorify God. May we all enter into the use of our gifts with that idea. They build up the church, and therefore, the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I realize um, this is some foreign territory for many of us. Uh, I thank you that through uh, marching through this book, we've had the chance to talk about this today. And Lord, I want to thank you for the gift of tongues that you gave to your early church, and I believe that you're still using somehow today. Even though I don't have that gift, and I know many in this room don't, it doesn't mean that some that do have it aren't of benefit to themselves and ultimately to the body of Christ, especially when prophecy is involved. Lord, you just continue to work in us. I pray against anything that would be confusing or that would be dividing in what's been said today. And I ask, Lord, that we would uh, honor you. That's what we want to do. We want to love you more fully. We want this church to be set aside for your purposes. And so we pray. and We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.